Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Old Ball Podcast. I'm joined here today with Stan and Drew. Hi. Hello. So today we're going to be talking about the NFL awards. We're going to say our predictions for each and every award for the end of the year. But first, there's some crazy things happening right now. Through this whole quarantine, we've been eagerly waiting for something, something to give. Everything's been taken away from us. But yesterday, we hear that the NBA is moving forward with plans to reinstate the season, optimistically thinking about sometime in June. So I cannot be more happy about this. It is about time that we're starting to get things back on track. Uh, in terms of having all the teams play or just the playoff teams, I think that it'd be a great idea to have a playoff at first so that all the bottom feeders don't have to play, but the teams that are fighting for those playoff spots have a chance. Uh, I don't think that increasing the risk is a great idea, but all in all, I'm just happy that it's coming back. Uh, especially after the last dance came out and everyone's, you know, everyone just wants the NBA to come back even more now. So I'm happy about that. And some other crazy news happening today. Dak Prescott offered $175 million over the course of the next five years. $35 million a year annually. Turned it down because he wants $45 million a year or more even. Uh, we have a Cowboys fan joining us today, so I'd like him to say a few words on that briefly. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm just going to... Uh... I'm just going to chime in on what you said about the NBA. I think if they're going to, um, I, I think if they're going to start the, if restart the NBA season, I think they should just go right to the playoffs. Honestly, like no one wants to see my Knicks right now. Yeah. Exactly. No, no one wants to see regular season basketball. I mean, in my opinion, regular season NBA basketball is the most over overextended and like useless thing in all of sports because it is so long, so unnecessarily long for no. Um, yeah, I don't know where the hell they came up with 82 games, if, but it's, <laughs> just let us tank in peace. <laughs> yeah, you're just yeah. waiting, waiting for him. Is it Durant? You're waiting for Durant to get fit again, aren't you? Yeah, the lottery screwed up, screwed up enough as as is. I mean, I'm, I loved R.J. Barrett, but uh, my close friends know the story. Last year, uh, I was in the market for a bunch of college jerseys, and I bought Zion Duke. And I bought John Morant, Murray State. Oh, and no. I said, I swear to God, if the Knicks get the third pick in the draft, they're going to get R.J. Barrett. I love R.J. Barrett, but I, uh, I'm i still angry about that. But go ahead on deck. Okay, for one, the deal at the moment is ridiculous. Honestly, five years for 175, like you have to overpay in free agency at some point. And especially at the quarterback position, because it's so important, like $35 million annual salary really isn't that bad. Like, it's what Russell Wilson got, and I agree Doc Prescott isn't even in the same stratosphere as Russell Wilson by any means. But if you have to overpay on a quarterback... That's, that's the market. That's the market. Uh, that is the market. I agree. It's just anything more, like anything north of $40 million annual is heck no for me. Like I, I'm packaging a six to jump for to Miami and getting Josh Rosen right now if he's asking for anything north of forty because I hope he realizes no one else is going to pay him that kind of money. 
Yeah, it's, it's crazy. What do you, what do you... It's absolutely crazy that Jerry's going to offer him that much money. Like We've seen from past examples that as soon as you pay your quarterback an extortionate amount of money, you can't win Super Bowls. It happened with Matt Ryan. It happened with Aaron Rodgers. It's, um, it's happened with Drew Brees too. They haven't won Super Bowls since getting those contracts. And I think it's down to that lack of funds. Jimmy Garoppolo. Exactly. It's down to the lack of funds to build a team. Well, to be fair, the, the Niners did come very close last year and they could have another shot again. But, um, I think Jimmy was just lack of talent rather than lack yeah, of, uh, lack of resources. I've got to agree with you there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's too much money for a quarterback, especially as it, like if Jerry wants to win a Super Bowl in his lifetime, he's gonna he's gonna have to pay a quarterback a reasonable figure so he can actually build a team of players who can go out there and win that ring for him. See, that's the thing. Dal- half of Dallas's roster is pretty much on market contracts. Amari Cooper, Tyron Smith, Zach Martin, um, Jalen Smith. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence, like half of these guys are on double digit contracts that at one point in time set the market. So their core is perfectly intact. The issue is they have Dak on a 31 or 33 million franchise tag. And I have a feeling they're going to waste it because, because they couldn't come to, because they can't come to an agreement. This is, this is just extremely greedy. Dak doesn't deserve anything close to, what the Cowboys have offered, and I'm I'm sorry. Like as a Cowboys fan, this just hurts. Yeah, I've, I've got to agree with that. Yeah. Um, I thought that the whole idea of bringing Andy Dalton in would remove that, um, Dak's leverage in the situation because so what if he holds out and doesn't play on that franchise tag? They've got Andy Dalton there, who will be a capable quarterback. He's not as good as Dak, yeah. but I just assume that the whole move to bring in Andy would be to um, yeah, just Honestly, move his bargaining power. I, I wouldn't be too hasty on even saying that because I've. I, I forget the guy's name, but someone who he worked with, Dan Marino, Aaron Rodgers, and Andy Dalton. And he said that those three quarterbacks, he's worked with a ton of quarterbacks. He said the three most talented quarterbacks in terms of like ability to throw the football that he's ever coached were Dan Marino, Rodgers, and, and Andy Dalton. So you have to think to yourself, if this guy is saying that, what has happened – that like why haven't we been able to see yeah. that? Maybe it was just the Bengals. If you give him, he's never he's had AJ Green, of course, but AJ Green was very successful with Andy Dalton. If you give him a, a a more than capable defense to support him on the other side, and then you give him weapons like Amari Cooper and uh, and CD Lamb and uh, Michael Gallup and a uh, nice running game offensive line. I'm, you never know. Andy Dalton could be so much better than we ever anticipated. Yeah, I've got to agree with you there. Like he's he's managed to be like almost painfully average for his entire career with the Bengals, despite having like a subpar lineup, like a sub-average lineup. And just think what he could do. Yeah, being average with the Bengals—that's talent. <laughs> if Joe Burrow can pull that off, I'd right. be happy with that. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's get started. So, uh, NFL awards. Let's start off with the MVP. So, I'm gonna tr- I'm gonna try and like when I wrote down all my picks, I tried not to take the the top guy, you know, the favorite for anything. So to start off, number one MVP, I got Kyler Murray. Ooh. So there has been, as we all know, there has been a string of second year quarterbacks that have just completely lit up the field. You have Carson Wentz a few years ago, thirty three touchdowns. Uh, had the Eagles on pace winning 13, uh, 13 games. They won the Super Bowl without him. But, you know, Carson Wentz was uh, on pace to win MVP before he unfortunately got injured. 
So let's just say he won MVP that season because either way, I think he deserved it. Patrick Mahomes two seasons ago, uh, I mean, 50 touchdowns and 5,000 yards. One of the greatest seasons we've ever seen by any quarterback in the history of the game. And then last season, of course, you have Lamar Jackson, who also won an MVP. These are all second-year quarterbacks who um, who came in to the league, and we, we saw them play decently their first season. Mahomes didn't play, but Wentz played decently his first season. Jackson played um, Jackson played decently in the in the time that we got to see him. Murray played very well last year, and I expect him to come back with a vengeance this year. Uh, Kyler Murray and Kingsbury are going to go into their second season, so that camaraderie is only going to get better. Of course, the marquee offseason acquisition for the Cardinals was DeAndre Hopkins, uh, arguably the best receiver in the league. So that can only help him. He still has Larry Fitzgerald. Andy Isabella is going into his third season. He has the potential to improve drastically. And, of course, he just has, like, an insane skill set. He's got the zip on the ball. He's got the arm strength. He's got the running ability. He just has everything that, you know, he has all the tools to be successful this year. So uh, I can definitely see Kyler Murray as being that second-year quarterback that um, that pops out. But if he doesn't win, I see Patrick Mahomes winning, and then I see him moving down to Offensive Player of the Year. But uh, Kyler Murray is my MVP. So, uh, Drew, why don't you um, go I'm ahead. just going to make one quick note on Kyler Murray. He's probably one of the best pure throwers of the football in the entire game. Like, right now. Like, yeah. Without a doubt, in my opinion. Like, when you look at – it's like you said. When you look at the amount of zip and the throw power that ball has in the air, it's pretty much perfect spiral after perfect spiral after perfect spiral. And you can tell in Kyler's deep ball. There's a reason why he's such a good fit for yeah. that system. That's why even with a yeah. talented quarterback like Josh Rosen on the roster who they traded and still drafted Murray number one overall, he's a perfect fit for the system. And with an acquisition like DeAndre Hopkins, I think it was a franchise tender, re-signed Kenyon Drake, drafted Isaiah Simmons eighth overall, Josh Jones in the third round to solidify their offensive line. Every move the Cardinals have made has had a purpose this year. And that is yeah. help Kyler make an incredible second-year jump. And I really think... I really think Arizona is a playoff team this year. I think it can be argued that they're oh that they're the, yeah, 100%. I think it really can be argued that they're the second best team in the NFC West behind the San Francisco 49ers. I don't think it's much of an argument. Aren't they? Are the is the NFL adding that extra wild? I think they year? are. Is it this year or next year? Okay, so there you go, right there. Hypothetically, yeah, if they don't win the division, I mean, I don't expect them to. But if they don't, they definitely could. But if they don't, they still have that extra spot now with the wild card. So, uh, who's your MVP? I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, sticking on the teams of sticking on the point of second year quarterbacks winning MVP. I'm gonna go with Drew Locke, quarterback of the Denver Broncos. This is definitely not. This is definitely uh-huh. not chalk, like at all. I don't think anyone has Locke on their MVP ballot. But the reason I Locke Locke is Locke is I uh, I wrote in my um in one of my latest articles that Locke was one of my uh, MVP candidates, and he. He's he's on my list later on. Yeah, Locke is just – I'm not sure how to put it because he looked like one of the more impressive rookies at the tail end of last year. Like, they walked into Houston and broke – and, like, just broke broke the entire team. Like, I think – what was it? He put up 31 points on them, something like that. And if you look at everything they've done this offseason, Cortland Sutton's obviously a fantastic number one. He proved so last year. They drafted Jerry Judy. They drafted KJ Hamler. 
they drafted Albert O, the tight end from, I think it was Missouri. Yeah. Yeah, And he's just, it's just speed on speed on speed. And if they're just going to take deep shots all game, they have their roster to do it now. Like this is a quick strike offense Mm -hmm. that can score in, in what that's, that can score touchdowns every other minute. And with the, they've got great talent on there. Forgetting about um, Noah Fant as well at tight end. Oh yeah. Yeah, so if you yeah. if you just want to run the ball out of what twenty one personnel with a fullback, I'm sorry. If you just want to run, uh, if you just want to run outside zone out of twenty one personnel, then you can do it because you have two tight ends who aren't elite blockers, but they can still get the job done. So the run yeah. game doesn't lose anything. Yeah, and Locke is just bombs away in the air. Like if you want to take deep shots, go ahead. He can do it. They've surrounded him with the perfect amount of talent and with. The return of key starters like Bradley Chubb on defense, and I think they acquired Jarrell Casey as well for a seventh, which is a steal. I don't know how that happened. But overall, what John Elway has done for Drew Locke this second-year jump, and I think it could be good enough to win the MVP. Obviously, we'll have to compete with Patrick Mahomes. I wouldn't be surprised if Mahomes beats him out for this award, but expect expect a very strong Broncos squad. Yeah, he's my third MVP candidate after Murray and uh, Mahomes, but I do have him later on uh, this list. Uh, Stan, um, I'm going to have to join you there as a Cardinals fan on um, Kyler Murray. Like, yeah, ah, as, as you said, you, you pretty much nailed it. Um, the way he throws the ball is just is just beautiful. The way he can really like release the ball out of ridiculous angles, similar to Patrick Mahomes, and of course he's got the scrambling ability. And now he has the cast for it as well. He's got the supporting cast. He's got DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk. He's got Andy Isabella. He's got a star-studded, star-studded um, set of weapons. Um, however, his success will be um, limited to some extent by the offensive line of the Cardinals, which unless they can improve and develop their skills and develop their knowledge of the scheme and keep Kyler safe, then um, he won't be able to get it, unfortunately, because there, there were too many sacks last year as a result of pressure from them leaking down the middle, leaking around the edges. So yeah, Kyler Murray for MVP. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, I just want to say one quick thing about Kyle. One more quick thing about Kyler Murray. They added arguably the best receiver in the league, and a guy who demands double team after double team after double team. Like if you're going to leave DeAndre Hopkins one on one, that's just asking to get roasted over the top. Like I don't think there are mm-hmm. probably I don't think there are many corners who can guard him at all. Besides maybe Stephon Gilmore, who is the best one in the league. Yeah. Like if you're going to have to commit multiple resources that way. And when you do, when you do, the Cardinals are just going to run the ball down your throat with Kenyon Drake, or even better throw a bunch of screens to Andy Isabella and all of their other young receiving talent. Yeah. The only player that we've seen lock up DeAndre Hopkins on a consistent basis is not even in the conference. Pierre Desir, ironically, <laughs> and he's not in the conference anymore. He's with, uh, He's with the Jets. So uh, let's move on to uh, Offensive Player of the Year. So I said that uh, if Kyler Murray didn't win MVP, he'd win Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, If Patrick Mahomes was the MVP or even Drew Locke. But my Offensive Player of the Year, it's basically the non-quarterback MVP award for the offense because the quarterback's got to win MVP every year. It's obviously the most valuable position. So Offensive Player of the Year went Christian McCaffrey. So it was between... Saquon and McCaffrey, but I believe the run game hinges on two things to be successful. It's the passing game and the offensive line. 
So ultimately, I trust the stability of Teddy Bridgewater and Carolina's offensive line over Daniel Jones and the Giants' offensive line, even regardless of the addition of Andrew Thomas. I don't think that makes much of a difference because Saquon Barkley is not in, in between the, the tackles runner either way. So McCaffrey's statistical dominance is unparalleled, and ultimately that's what people are looking for when they pick their offensive player of the year. It's, it's not about value because the quarterback almost never wins this. It's usually always about what did this guy do on the stat sheet, and he's, his stats are incredible. Uh, and he's got amazing slot skills that we obviously know. He's an amazing receiver, and uh, he has real skills of running back as well. So I think that this is honestly one of the safer picks. Plus, I mean, he's going to be another fan, like outstanding fantasy football player, and that, of course, plays into the, to the narrative for Offensive Player of the Year. So I uh, – who are your guys, Drew? All right, go so first. this is going to be a pretty bold pick, I'd like to say, only because uh, we've we've talked about him on this podcast. By the way, um, it's it's Zeke Elliott, running back of the Dallas Cowboys, and I, I acknowledge it is mm-hmm. quite bold, but the reason why I have him winning this award ties directly to what we were talking about earlier with Andy Dalton potentially getting reps at starter if the Cowboys can't sign Dak long-term. Like, if Dalton's the starter, Mm -hmm. they want to make life as easy for him as humanly possible, which means run the ball, run the ball again, and run the ball on third down. Like, as much as possible. Just keep running the ball until it stops working. If teams want to stack the box, they can do that at their own peril because they're going to get gashed over the middle. I know Andy Dalton's an, uh, of what, a 34, 35-year-old veteran? But I think he's still got a good amount of gas left in the tank, at least enough to win the Cowboys 10 games. And if they do, is he I, that old? Something, something around there. I know he's in his 30s. Either that or I'm completely wrong. Uh-huh. Oh, uh, he's 32. Okay. Not that far away. But yep. my point is, as long as the Cowboys want to win, as long as the Cowboys want to lean on Dalton as a starter, they're going to have to lean even more on Zeke as a runner to carry them to wins. Just keep the opposing offense off the field. Don't let Dalton make mistakes. So just put the ball in your second-best offensive player's hands and let him do the work. Mm-hmm. Um, Stan, I've got for Nick Chubb of the Cleveland Browns. I think, yeah, this with this year, with the additions really? of Jack, Com- Jack Conklin and um, Jedrick Wills on at tackle, and a new offensive scheme with um, Kevin Stefanski, who previously ran a zone scheme that was very su- successful over in Minnesota. I think he, he could increase from his one thousand five hundred years years um, yards per game, yards in the sorry yards in the season, and potentially win the Offensive Player of the Year <laughs> award. I think uh, he'll also be helped by the fact that um, Baker Mayfield will t- make an improvement this year under the new scheme, which will take some of the focus off Chubb, allowing him to maybe break away for longer yards. Young, uh, can't talk for longer games. It's hard not to mm-hmm. like Chubb as it, it's 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 hard not to not to pick Chubb for this award because, being quite honest, I had him as a I, I was about to pencil him down when I, I wrote in Zeke Elliott instead because of the Cowboys quarterback situation. But Chubb, If Chubb wins this award next year, it really wouldn't surprise me. The scheme that Kevin Stefanski runs is notorious for production at the running back position. My only issue is how much is Kareem Hunt going to hinder that production? In a way, it's 
it's subtraction by addition because you have two very talented backs who can't hit their peaks without affecting without affecting the amount of workload that each one gets. Like if they're going to use a running back by committee, which yeah. I sincerely doubt because Chubb is just a significantly better running back. I think, I think they should just feed him the lion's share of carries and uh, use Hunt as a change of pace guy or yeah. to spell. Hunt like I don't see a point in not that. giving Chubb carry after carry because he's Nick Chubb. He's one of the five best running backs in the league. Yeah, hundred percent. I think yeah, Chubb, Chubb on Chubb on first and second down, then bring Kareem Hunt in for the um for third down. Right, and then on and then on third down, take play action shots, uh, play action deep shots to Odell Beckham Jr. Exactly, like, that's your offense right there, and it's a dang good one. Yeah, the Browns will definitely make a jump. Yeah. All right, let's move on to uh, let's move on to defensive player of the year. I'm gonna act. I'm gonna be a homer here. I'm gonna go with T.J. Watt. So. I think it's about time that Watt's going to get one of these. Set three years in the league. He's gotten progressively better every year. He was a first-team All-Pro last year, one of three on the Steelers' defense, I think, between him, Minka, and uh, and Cam Hayward. Uh, he's the highest-graded edge rusher, according to PFF, and he's, he's only getting better every single season. I think that the debate between him and his brother uh, is going to get closer and closer as his career – uh, progresses, and I think that over over his career, he's going to have to get one of these at some point. I think that next year's the year. TJ Watt should have won the award this year, in my opinion. He was the most deserving defensive player. Like, even though Minka was an incredible contributor to that Steelers defense, it wouldn't have been the same without TJ Watt. No way. Not not even a little bit. Not like, even a little bit. It's an off-ball linebacker who can rush the passer at an elite level. So he's and in the Steelers scheme, it's a perfect fit. You can play him in coverage on third downs, and you can have yeah. him rush the passer. He was a turnover machine in 2019. Absolute machine. Like, if he yeah. wins the award in 2020, like, it's not going to be to anyone's surprise. Everyone knows Watts, one of the best of the best. Both Watts, to be honest. Like, they're both incredible players, and I wouldn't be surprised if TJ comes out with his first defensive player of the year award at the end of 2020. Mm-hmm. I've gone Who's for Sharla Jones of the Arizona Cardinals sticking on the um, edge rusher front. He's gone underlooked and underrated for so, so long that it's time he, he, time he gets one of these awards. And with support on the other side of the line as well, drawing away attention, we've got um, Devon, Devon, is it Devon Kennard. Um, we've got um, upgraded defensive line as well on the interior. And for this year for him will be the year he breaks 20 sacks and finally wins his Defensive Player of the Year award after missing it barely last year. I, I have to push back on that a little bit. I don't think that this. I don't think he's going to hit that twenty sack mark. I think his la- last year, he he had an insane amount of sacks, but at the same time he was converting on all those, and it's not it's not very common for a player to always convert on those sack things. I think he's going to be a very effective player, but if we see a huge drop off in his sacks, I don't think it. I think that we will see a drop off in the sacks. I don't necessarily think that it means that he got any worse. It's just, it's not going to show up as much. And I think people are going to be quick to disregard. I don't know, I just, I don't know about that. He's been, he's been like so consistently good for his entire career. He's been overlooked like consistently. Like ever since he came into the league, he's been, he's been dominating with only two down years of six acts. He's gone 2013, 11.5. And then his next up year was 12.5, 11, 17, 13, 19. He's been consistently dominant and people don't, 
rate him as highly because like a bit of a self burn here, but he's a Cardinals player. He doesn't play for these big name franchises and he doesn't get the same brand exposure that these other linemen do. However, he's the best edge rusher in the league. A lot of exactly, like casual yeah. fans probably don't know who he is and that's Oh, uh, I, I'm, full, I'm fully with you on the Chandler Jones's underrated hype wagon. I'd honestly say he should be in the Hall of Fame if he retired today. 100%. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah. he's been consistently outstanding. And if you're going to talk about oh, Khalil Mack maybe being a Hall of Famer, then Chandler Jones should be a first ballot for sure if you're even considering Khalil Mack. I think Khalil Mack is a better player than Chandler Jones, mm-hmm. but Chandler Jones's consistency is unparalleled. However, when it comes to hitting 20 sacks, not many edge rushers, not many players do that. Not many players do it. Players. Aaron Donald did it in 2018, yeah. which is incredible. He's Aaron Donald. That makes sense. Like, I, I know Shaq Barrett came really close. Like, yeah. one person does it almost every season, but that one person never stays the same, if that makes any sense. But that's it the always thing. changes from year to year. Yeah, but that's the thing with Sean Jones. He's been he hasn't been this one season wonder. I know he hasn't hit nineteen before, but he's been so consistent and so consistently elite in the league. I I don't see any reason for him to not break twenty sacks in ne- this year or next year because of the upgraded Cardinals defensive line, which will take some of the focus away from him, perhaps. Oh, for sure. If it if uh-huh. it's going to happen, it's probably going to happen this year because yeah. he's at his peak right now, for sure. I don't know if he's going to get much better than he is right now, but like mm. I feel like he doesn't need to. He's an all-pro player. So with that in mind, I think the Cardinals upgraded uh, defense overall with selections like Isaiah Simmons. I don't know if they're going to re-sign Buda Baker to a massive long-term contract. I oh, imagine they, they will. They should, 100%. I think they will. But just having other players of, well, not of his caliber, but of high caliber at their position matters significantly when it comes to uh, when it comes to production from a top a top flight edge rusher, like this is not Khalil Mack in Oakland. Let's let's make that clear. This is much better, like in every possible way. Yeah, agreed. I'm gonna go with a name who probably no one has written on their defensive player of the year ballot, and I really think he was snubbed of an All Pro last season. I'm gonna go with Fred Warner, middle linebacker of the San Francisco 49ers. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and the reason why I think Warner is on Warner should win this award this year is because if you look at the tail end of last season, he was the best linebacker in all of football, unless you consider TJ Watt an off-ball linebacker, which I don't. Like Fred Warner, in my opinion, at the tail end of the year was the best was the best linebacker in all of football. Whether it's whether it's taking on two receivers like Marquise Brown, carrying them in coverage and breaking up the pass. Like he's just always there. He's he's the ideal Mike linebacker. He makes up for for the 49ers selection of Ruben Foster a couple of years ago, however that turned out. And like if the I know the 49ers are strapped mm. for cash, but if Warner asks for money at the end of next year, like can they really say no? Especially considering what he's done. He should have been an all pro this year, especially with how he played in coverage. One of the smartest linebackers in the league, in my well, opinion. Yeah, well, they don't have to pay DeForest Buckner now, so they'll have that extra. Um, that yeah, but you're still strapped in terms cash. of paying their defense. They have what, like 16 million in cap, and they still have to pay yeah, George yeah. Kittle, Trent Williams, Mike McGlinchey, Fred Warner. I'm missing one name. 
I don't know. I, I doubt they pay Akella Witherspoon. I doubt it. Even though I like Akella Witherspoon. But I, I doubt any. I doubt they mm-hmm. even pay two of them, let alone three or four. But going back to what I was saying on Warner, I, I was I've been watching a lot of 49ers film lately to see whether the Akella Witherspoon's burnt toast narrative actually exists or not. And the thing is, when you're watching one specific player and you have to stop every two plays just to see Fred Warner make an insane coverage play, like, you know that play, that one player is incredibly special. Like, I've charted, like, three games, and I can remember six, about six or seven plays off the top of my head where he's carried the number two receiver from the slot, number two or number three from the slot, he reads the quarterback's eyes and makes a makes a jaw dropping pass breakup. Like it is incredible to see. I, I think if Warner continues that production from last season, mm-hmm. if that carries over into this year, look out. Like he could be, in my opinion, the first linebacker since Luke Keekley to win the defensive player of the year award. I, I truly think it's a dark horse, and I doubt he wins it only because of all the other great defensive players in this league. But I think if any linebacker is going to do it, it's going to be him. Awesome. All right, let's move on to Offensive Rookie of the Year. So here I I tried to make cases for other guys in my head, but I, I just couldn't get past Joe Burrow. I, I, I really did try. I was like, you know, there's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and then, there's uh, uh, C.D. Lamb and Judy and Ruggs and all these guys, you know, but Joe Burrow is just – he's the guy, you know. I didn't want to pick him because it seems too easy, but there's really no one else that I could think of that could beat him out. He's got all the weapons to succeed. I mean, A.J. Green and John Ross are constantly injured, but assuming their health, which I know is pretty much impossible, but just do it for argument's sake. Green, Boyd, and Ross is an excellent receiver core. Uh, you have Joe Mixon behind him, and I think that this is going to be the beginning of a very decorated career, and I think this will be his first uh, – the first mark on his resume. With Burrow, I feel like the success in year one, at least, is not going to be as high as people anticipate. Like, you have to consider this is one of the youngest teams in the league. And what do we know about young teams with young coaching mm-hmm. staffs who don't have a great veteran pres- who don't have great veteran presences to help sort of um, to help that young talent accommodate to the league doesn't always go well. I I think Burrow is going to be a great quarterback in this league. See it in like like the the inverse is obviously people are going to write him off way too early, which I think could happen if he doesn't have a good year because of all the expectations he has. Like, he had the greatest college football season of all time. Like, the expectations don't get any higher at the pro level. So, if if he does not play at an at a yeah. phenomenal level, in my opinion, the media is going to write him off just because it's the media. And I disagree with that approach entirely, but I, I just mm-hmm. don't think this team is going to gel well in year one, even with all the young talent they have. I think it takes time for all those rookies to acclimate, acclimate to the league, and I think that's going to take a toll on how much carrying Joe Burrow is going to have to do. I think they're going to win more games than you, than people. I'm going to go with one of your favorite guys here. I'm going to go Jalen Rager, wide receiver of the Philadelphia Eagles. And this is high praise coming from a Cowboys fan. Um, Even in the pre-draft process, 
I was worried that um, that Philly was going to take take some incredible receiver who would make um, the Cowboys' life a living hell, and that's exactly what they've done. Fantastic. Um, Jalen Rager has unbelievable deep speed. Like, if you want a guy who can stretch the field for the rest of your underneath weapons to work open, like Rager's your guy. He can take he can truly take the top off of defenses and. In my opinion, he's discount Henry Ruggs in the way that they're both extremely fast receivers who can take who can take a five-yard slant, 70 yards to the house, but at the same time, they can burn you deep. But I feel like Rager doesn't have the route running acumen that Ruggs does, and I don't think his hands are on that level as of yet. So he that's the reason why Henry Ruggs was drafted 12th and Rager was drafted 21st. But I think... Yeah. Rug Rugs um his his route running is obviously better, oh, but yeah. Rager's contest catchability is probably better as well. So I mean, he's small, but so a lot of people tend to you know underestimate his his uh, his ability. But his his leaping ability is off the charts. I mean, he was a long jumper, and uh, he he scored in the ninety eighth and the 99th percentile in the long jump and the vertical jump, uh, respectively. So he has a ridiculous ability to get up there and his contested cat, his, you're, you're right. His hands aren't, aren't uh, as good as you would want them to be probably, but that'll, that'll come. I mean, drops is not really something that you can anticipate in this league. The, uh, unless you have a player like Larry Fitzgerald, uh, like Deandre Hopkins had one drop two years ago, just one drop the entire season. And last year he had like four in a game or something, you know, you can't – or, no, no, I'm thinking of um, Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper, he, he didn't have, uh, like, a single drop in his entire, like, college career to, like, a playoff game where he had, like, four or something. And um, those things are impossible to tell on a year-by-year basis. So, I yeah, I, I think that Jalen Rager can that. definitely get that up there. And – his contested catchability is unparalleled. Just yeah, no, of his, uh, Rager doesn't. Rager his, plays his way bigger than he actually is. Like, if you want him to go up and get it, he can go up and get it. Like, back shoulder fade, yeah. whatever. Just throw him up, throw it up to him, and you'll find a way to make it happen. Like, his, his the reason why his production staggered at uh, TCU is because their quarterback situation and their coaching staff was yeah, pretty horrible. Quarterback play. So it's hard, hard to watch his film, honestly, without without just feeling feeling his frustration at his quarterback and the inaccuracy of the throws. Like put him <laughs> in a system where he has a good quarterback and watch him go off. He will explode onto the scene in um in his rookie year. And yeah, just um going back to his uh, drops. It, I'm not sure if that will stay when he reaches the league because that, I felt like the the dropping problem that he had was just a spell sort of thing. Like it was, it was not like he was, he was having massive errors in his game. It looked like he just had his eye off the ball and almost just wasn't concentrating properly when he made those drops. And that might just be a thing that just fades with time, essentially. I, I do hope for Carson Wentz's sake that it's not like Amari Cooper mm-hmm. where it, where he pretty much turns into Butterfingers. I, I hope for yeah. Carson Wentz's sake that he, that he doesn't, that the Eagles drafted another receiver with consistent drop issues because they don't need Nelson Aguilar all over again. Like, yeah, my, pro, my, my pro comparison for Rager was actually Nelson Aguilar, right. not because of the drops, but because um, he's a very fast receiver who can get up and down the field. But 
but his route running acumen isn't exactly isn't exactly top dog, which explains why he went in the latter half of the first round and not in the top fifteen picks. So yeah. if they can get Nelson Aguilar without the drop uh-huh. issues, I think they'll be fine. Quite honestly, like they're a, like Rager's going to have a great rookie year. He's probably going to be the most productive of all the rookies, just because of rookie receivers because of target share, and that includes Ceedee Lamb, Jerry Judy. Uh, Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins, like all those guys, I don't think their production is going to be as high as Rager's because they're not going to be force-fed the ball as much, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. Um, T. Higgins as well. He's going oh, yeah. to work, work on his getting open, like the start of the routes. Like he was getting bullied physically at the line and that, that's going to really slow him down in year one. So yeah, I've got to agree with you there on um, Rager being the most productive rookie wide receiver. My guy is Cam Akers out of FSU. Stan, who's your guy? Yes! Him going yes. to the Rams was the perfect <laughs> pick. And I was talking to uh, my friend. Uh, she's a Rams fan. She was saying, oh, who's St- Stan, who do you want the Rams to draft? Who do you think we should draft in the second round? And I said, Cam Akers or Jonathan Taylor? And I think Cam Akers was the best of those two picks. Because at FSU, he showed off. like His ability to bounce outside was phenomenal. He shrugs off tackle like they're absolutely nothing. And he never, ever goes down easily as well. His lateral quickness and his jump cut move and his patience will um, will me- allow him to shine in that LA zone scheme that they have um, that they run with Todd Gurley. And he could well pick off where Todd Gurley left off if it wasn't for his lingering knee issue. He also offers the third down ability as a natural receiver and he, can, he will be able to play on every down. Do you know? Athletic and powerful, and I don't. Cam Akers was brought up uh, earlier I see today. Why he can't win the award. Yeah, uh, Sean McDermott was talking about him earlier today. Um, he said that they were going to be happy running with a committee between Darryl him, Henderson. Malcolm Brown, and uh, who's uh, their other Darryl guy? Henderson. I forget the name. Daryl Henderson. Yeah, he said that they would be happy running a committee there. So I'm not sure exactly where I how much of the line I uh, of the bulk of production is going to be coming from in that, that backfield. I don't believe but that at all. I, I, he'll probably he'll probably carve out yeah. a spot for himself. I can see Cam Akers being the, um, the bell cow of that offense. Like Darrell Henderson was I know he saw limited carries in it last year, but he wasn't he wasn't great. Cam Akers is the best running back in that backfield by a long shot. And to to run a committee in that situation where you've got Cam Akers who can play every single down. It, I think it kind crazy. of reminds me of what the Eagles did with Miles Sanders. and Sorry, what the Eagles didn't do with Miles Sanders until it was too late in the season. They could have won way more games yeah. last year if if they had played, if they had actually given him bell cow work much earlier in the season. I think the Rams make a grave mistake if they start, if they really use a running back by committee with Cam Akers. He can take every single touch on all three downs that you want. And you know what my favorite element of his game is? And this is going to get him a lot more playing time. He's a dang good pass blocker. Like, especially at the running back position, you need a guy like that. Because pass blocking in running backs is seen as one of the most important traits. If you can pass block against, what, six or seven man blitzes that the 49ers are going to call that send Fred Warner screaming down the middle... If you can hold your own against those blocks and give Jared Goff that kind of time, they're not going to be a bad football team next year. They're going to convert those third downs. Like you. Yeah, I'm glad. You, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I meant to touch on that earlier. I, ha- I have it here in my notes. But um, yeah, his pass blocking ability for a little five ten 
two two seventeen running back. He's he's phenomenal when it comes to pass blocking. He can identify them and he fights. He doesn't he doesn't let the fact that he's smaller than that rushing D lineman affect it at all. He will block them at any cost and there's no way they're getting past. Yeah, them. my only real concern with them is ball security because he did have fumble issues at yeah, Florida State. But it wasn't like it wasn't like Chris Carson esque, if you know what I mean. Like it wasn't like giving him the ball could it wasn't like okay, fumbling is gonna happen because we gave Chris Carson the ball. No, it it wasn't really like that with Cam Akers. So because of that, along with his downright power when he runs, like he just bulldozes people. I literally have that written in my notes. He bulldozes people when he can. He stays upright even after contact. He has decent burst of the ball in his hands. He can be a three-down back with a lot of potential in the receiving game. He's got a lot of great patience. He hits the hole well. He can read and create yards for himself whenever he wants. This is It was a great pick for the Rams because they found a bell cow, but I completely disagree with their approach if they want to use if they want to use a running back by committee. I just I just I just hate the overall idea because you're limited limiting one back's potential. Yeah, 100%. Like in, in different situations it could be more appropriate, but here when you've got that standout number one back in the backfield, like Right, it's him. like you've don't got one him. back who's so who's far and away better than everyone else that you just can't afford to not give him the carries. And I think that's what the Rams are going to see. It's the Miles Sanders story all over again. He was by far the best back, so they gave him the ball, plain and simple. Yeah, by week four, it at least can I, I'm crossing my fingers. Roster. I'm crossing my fingers. Plus, yeah. I mean, teams feel like, teams feel a certain obligation to um to uh to make the most out of high investments and he was certainly a high investment uh any any top three round pick is especially a high investment, and they're going to feel the need to use him in some form uh so right so moving on to defensive rookie of the year i don't know why but i have the slightest feeling that me and stan have the same answer here i'm gonna i'm gonna go with isaiah simmons yeah, go- yeah that was mine How could you guess? there we go <laughs> So, I mean, the only reason that I picked Simmons over Young is because I think that Simmons is going to be an absolutely outstanding player on an outstanding team. And people will be more inclined to notice that. Arizona's going to burst on the scene this year, and I think Isaiah Simmons is going to be uh, a huge part of that. And he's going to be that rookie, sto- you know, that Darius Leonard-type player where people are like, you need to pay more attention to this guy. He's an absolute force on the field. And when Indy, when Indianapolis was uh, burst on the scene a couple of years ago. Uh, so Isaiah Simmons is a absolute freak of nature. Uh, the fans are captivated by stats and he can rack up stats in all three of the basic statistical categories. He can give you sacks. He can give you interceptions. He'll, he'll make all those tackles. Uh, another reason I had him over young is because I, I think Young's going to be an impact player immediately. But then again, defensive defensive ends, their impact is, uh, I think sometimes uh, people look over it because they don't have a high sack number. I think Chase Young's going to be an eight-sack player next year. Does that mean that, he's, uh, that he uh, didn't live up to expectations? No, because not every play, not every great play by an edge defender results in a sack. So – I think that I don't yeah. think that a lot of people see that though. So I think people are going to put that against Young 
And I think that plays into Simmons' favor. I think he's going to show up on the stat sheet. I think people are going to be enamored by his tape because he's, like I said, he's an absolute freak of nature. And he's going to be on a team that is is going to be making a name for itself this year. So I I really don't see anyone else that has uh, as much of a case as Isaiah Simmons. Uh, so yeah. Stan, you I'm say we have to go, say about um, with Chase Young. Like people are underlooking the fact that he's playing the same position where you've got Montez Sweat, Ryan Kerrigan, and Matt Ioannidis as well. You've got four potential edge threats there on one team, and there's no way he can live up to these ridiculous expectations of him if he's playing in rotation. I I, I agree on the Simmons pick. In fact, I really like it. He's not my guy in this case, just because I didn't want to go with someone who. Oh, who who the odds makers had at the top of their lists. So I didn't go with Simmons, but yeah, he's he's a fantastic player. Freak athlete, like you mentioned earlier. He can play pretty much every position on the field, edge rusher, corner, safety, middle linebacker, which is what he's going to be playing in Arizona. I think that's what they needed most. They just need a guy who can cover sideline to sideline, who can stop the 49ers outside zone, and who can potentially try to guard George Kittle on a play-by-play, play-by-play basis. At least Arizona, Arizona said that they were going to use him in the role that he If that role in, is changing his position in, on uh, every single play, Clemson. I'm not so a fan that, of that, quite honestly. Because it's the NFL, yeah, and I don't, want it to, I don't want to turn mm. it into Minka Fitzpatrick week one with the Miami Dolphins, where you have Hollywood Brown roasting him from the slot because he has to do everything. Like I don't, I don't think they should be using him like that at all. Like, there, mm-hmm. Simmons has a very high bust rate only because of that. Like, he can be god, but he can also be horrible if not if he's not used correctly. Yeah, I thought it was um, it was definitely a best player available pick mm-hmm. for the Cardinals because at middle linebacker we already have um, Jordan Hicks and um, Devondre Campbell, and then at, at safety we have Buddha Baker and um, Jalen Thompson. So. I, I, I assumed when we picked him that we would use him more at safety because, of course, we've got Jalen Thompson, who's less experienced, and, and we've just paid um, Devondre Campbell quite a bit of money. But to see him in rot- rotation playing as that box safety, similar maybe to Jamal Adams' style, going up and down between secondary and um, yeah. playing in the box, I think that would be the best way to use him. However, definitely not as a slot corner in this sense, unless we're facing like a four-receiver set. Because... Yeah, being slot corner is a very acquired position. You need uh you need someone who's special at that exactly. to to take on that role, which is good. When when the Steelers traded for Minka Fitzpatrick, I mean we have one of the best slot corners in the league and Mike Hilton, who a lot of people don't even know his name, but I mean do people really know slot receiver uh, I mean slot cornerbacks that well? So we were able to put Minka in his true position and then we saw him flourish. I'm really glad that we traded for him. Uh, if the Cardinals can use Isaiah Simmons the right way, I think that he can be like a. I yeah, I, I, I know he's a generation player of the year. So, yeah, and when I when I did my player comparison for him, I I said Jamal Adams and I said Derwin James because I honestly couldn't pick between the two. Whether he's going to be as good as them, I mean, I think he's definitely going to be a first team All Pro, and I think he could be a defensive player of the year. I. Uh, but he definitely has resemblances in both of their games. So uh, I think that I, I didn't, again, I don't love going with the odds makers, but I just don't see how 
how anyone yeah, else has as much success as he does. Uh, sorry, so, uh, Drew, you can go ahead now. Simmons. Who's your guy? Um, when you mentioned, uh, when you mentioned they they were gonna play him at uh, safety yeah, because they they already had Jordan Hicks and Devondre Campbell. Campbell's on a one year deal, and I think Simmons is a flat out better player. Like from day one, I think they only signed him to be a great sort of leader in that locker room and not much else. But Campbell's a good player, don't get me wrong, but Simmons is just way better. And I agree with your note on Jordan Hicks. I think Jordan Hicks is severely underrated as a run and chase will linebacker. But, oh, he's yeah, a great Jordan player. Hicks, but the thing is, Simmons is better. Like, he's probably, you don't want him playing at safety just because he makes so many plays and you, you want him... You want him closer to the line of scrimmage so he can stop outside zone. That so he can stop Kyle Shanahan's outside zone. Yeah. So he can hang with George Hill. I want to use him. I yeah. want to use him like Jamal Adams. Except don't play him at safety. Play him at linebacker. Same same role essentially. Just get him near the box and yeah, same role. Let him um, make plays. Yeah. But moving on to my pick, I'm gonna go with Grant Delpit, safety of the Cleveland Browns. Mm. Yeah, and the and the main reason yeah. is. Cleveland's pass defense next year is severely underrated. Especially when you consider that drafting Delpit means they're going to be playing a lot of cover one and cover three looks. So essentially, Greedy Williams and Denzel Ward are going to be playing a lot more aggressive man coverage, which probably involves a lot of press at the line, where they're just going to go and make plays on the ball underneath because they know no matter what, Delpit's got their back. Because a similar situation to the Chicago Bears, isn't it? With um, how um, how, yeah, exactly. How Fuller was able to get so many picks that year because he was allowed exactly. to play as aggressively exactly. as he could because he knew no matter what Eddie, exactly. Eddie Jackson would be behind it, it, him. It is the exact same thing. That that's why cover three safeties are so valued in today's NFL. However, the one point against Delta, which is the reason why he didn't go in the top twenty, is tackling. And I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here with, uh, I assume you guys heard about the entire uh, Seahawks subreddit, Miles Garrett trade debacle. Yeah. Oh, and I heard the, that, yeah. You didn't hear about that? So so what happened I is some, uh, some guy pretending to be a Seahawks, no. uh, to, have, to be a Seahawks inside reporter on Reddit, claimed that the Seahawks were trading from, were trading a two, a six, and KJ Wright for Miles Garrett and a seventh. Obviously, it was a joke, but the the rumors circulated so far that Seahawks radio stations had him on, telling that um, telling that Miles Garrett was going to be traded to the Seahawks, which obviously didn't happen. Yeah, no, it got that far, and good good thing Jesus. it wasn't real. Well, it wasn't real from the start, which is what I said when it was going on. And the guy turned out to be a Packers fan trying to get revenge for Phil Mary. The reason. The, the reason why I, I, I disputed those rumors from the beginning is because Miles Garrett is the only player on the Browns defense who is going to prevent an 80-yard touchdown from happening. Because if you run at Grant Delpit, he's going to flat-out miss. Like, if you ask him to make a tackle in space, he's going to miss. If you ask Greedy Williams to make a tackle in space, he's going to miss. If you ask Denzel Ward to make a tackle in, tackle in space, he's also going to miss. So the Browns front seven is essentially the entire sort of foundation of their foundation against the run game, because if it gets to the third level of their defense, they're not stopping it. 
like outside zone especially and crack toss especially at two corner uh-huh. two outside corners who have a distaste distaste for tackling and with the safety like Delpit who also struggles with tackling that run defense is going to be porous but i think when you consider how much how much the how much of the nfl is a passing league i think adding delpit makes all makes too much sense like he's going to get a lot of interception yeah. and pass deflections but like in terms of tackles for loss, I think this is one place where he could potentially struggle. Yeah, just going back to the um, Browns um, run defense, um, the loss of Joe Schobert as well is going to massively hurt them because he's a, he's a criminally sure. underrated linebacker. And again, is he? He's one of the best run defenders, and he's a great eye. Yeah, absolutely. Great, and the loss of that, the loss of well. Schobert at linebacker is yeah, it's going to hurt them because. He would he could have played a vital role in stopping those runs, as you said. But yeah, toss like tosses to the outside are going to hurt them. Stretches and outside zones are going to hurt them. So they need to sort out their um their linebacker position and maybe teach their defensive backs how to tackle. <laughs> All right, awesome. So let's move on to coach of the year. You mean Sean? Uh, I have. Doug McDermott, the uh, Buffalo Bills. Yeah, so, I like that pick. Sean McDermott, sorry, yeah. Um, Doug McDermott. <laughs> I wrote down Doug McDermott on here. Used to play for my for my Knicks in the, the you know, we're, we're at the bottom <laughs> right now, but that was below the bottom. So, <laughs> Sean McDermott, uh, he's, he's quietly done a similar job to last year's coach of the year, uh, John Harbaugh. Uh, in terms of tailoring that offense around his quarterback, so they, like Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen is a very uh, is a very unique quarterback who needs things to be tailored around him to be successful. I think Sean McDermott has done an excellent job doing that, and this defense is only getting better. I think with the addition of Stephon Diggs and the steady improvement of their defense, it'll become more noticed. Uh, they were a playoff team last year, but I expect. I expect them to be better. I expect them to win their division. And also, Josh Allen has that uh, – he has that experience now. You know, I mean, it, he had a terrible game, one of the worst games I've ever seen in the playoffs last year. But that's behind him now. I think that he can move forward from that. So, uh, Sean McDermott, I see like a 12-win season probably out of the Bills. I don't see the Patriots winning that division this year. I. Uh, I think the Jets are a fringe playoff team. I don't think they're oh, quite yeah. there yet. They were even though I think that they did. Uh, and I know Drew thinks as well that they did an excellent job in the draft. But yeah, but McDermott, um, I think that he's going to get a lot of uh, recognition this year for the team that he's been building and uh, you go first. Crafting you go first. Past few step. years. So who are your guys? Um, I'm going to go with Cliff Kingsbury. I, I've, I've picked quite a few Cardinals players already and Cardinals personnel, but I've got to go with Cliff Kingsbury here because <laughs> what he's building in Arizona is not just a good football team on paper. It's a special team in terms of the personalities, in terms of the chemistry that they're building and that we haven't gone out and just bought a load of big-name free agents and just padded up like that. Admittedly, yes, we did take on Hopkins and Campbell and players like that. But as a whole... This team has grown over the past two years, ever since the departure of um, Steve Wilkes. And the, the air raid is growing. The air raid is improving. And with with Kyler Murray at quarterback, the, the, the sky is the limit for the Cardinals, as well as the defence, which is like heavily underrated as well. 
because of how badly we were last year at covering tight ends especially. So with Kingsbury for me, his chemistry was right, Yeah. But... I'm sorry to cut you off. I just so I don't lose my train of thought. I think that and like I was saying before, all the second year quarterbacks uh, all the second year quarterbacks who have been like having MVP caliber seasons or even winning the MVP didn't uh, Doug Peterson uh, from oh, who? Sorry, I think I'm getting like noise in the background right now. I'm not quite sure. I'm, I'm trying my best here. Um, um, it might, it might just be my mic. Ah, it's all right. Yeah, it's it's going down now, but um, I'm gonna start over with that. So uh, I think that in the past few years, with like I was saying before, with all the quarterbacks who uh, who are winning MVP in the second seasons, pretty sure Doug Peterson won uh, Coach of the Year. Yes, the year Carson he really should have. Should have won MVP, so. correct? And and then Andy Reid. No, won not Nagy won that year. That. Yeah, Matt Nagy won that MVP, right? Okay, so Matt Nagy, Matt Nagy won that year, but John Harbaugh won last year when Lamar Jackson won MVP. So I think uh, there's also a strong correlation between uh, between those two things. So, I mean, if Kyler Murray wins MVP like I haven't projected to, I think that Cliff Kingsbury was the second guy I had on, on yeah, here. Yeah, 100%, I, I mean, especially I as his play calling improved as well because – um, he, t- he took the blame for the first for the first few games and the growing pains we had as an offense for his play calling, which admittedly, yeah, it was bad. The plays he called were not right for the situation. And him as a coach, he is a, his personality and his knowledge of the game, I think, has improved massively since making the jump to the NFL and his play calling massively improved across the year. And so not only with our roster moves and our roster additions through the draft, the player development, the coach development has also got to be taken into account because his him as a play caller, he's a much better play caller from when he was this time a year ago. Yeah, and I felt really bad for him at first when he got the job because I, I don't know why, I don't know what the situation is like where you live in terms of media, but I'm sure you listen to mostly American sports yeah. media coverage when when in terms of the NFL. There were a lot of uh, like racial undertones that people were discussing uh, with Kingsbury being hired. They're like, oh, he's, you know, he's only getting the job because he's white and he doesn't have the resume or anything to back it up. So going into a team, uh, like your first NFL coaching opportunity and having all those negative uh, connotations around you, I mean, that's got to be troubling at the very least. And to see, uh, I hope that he can uh, improve mightily upon last year i i know they will but uh hopefully you can put all those things to rest and you know put that part of his uh, yeah i've got complete faith uh, in i think that kingsbury is him. just as much just as good as he is a coach he's he's just as sort of influential as a leader and i think that's a really underrated element yeah. in those coaches like if you can call plays then great but if you have the will to lead your team like Cliff Kingsbury can. He's a great locker room guy. He, he's great with morale in general. Like he's just a great personality to be around. And I think that's really important. You can really tell yeah. by how the Cardinals have sort of tailored their franchise with guys yeah. like keeping Larry Fitzgerald, um, underrated players like Chandler Jones, who never who never say anything but let their play do the talking. Like DeAndre Hopkins even, who doesn't say much, but lets his play do most of the talking. Like with guys, with, with culture guys, like like those three individuals right there. Yeah. 
I think that's the core of what Cliff Kingsbury is trying to build. He's not trying to build a team that's going to fall apart in one or two seasons. He's going to build a powerhouse for five to six seasons because of the of the team chemistry, the locker room yeah. culture, and all of that. It, all of the off the field intangibles just meshing really well with his air raid offense. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's the the growth that the team has undertaken is very much organic and to do with the locker room, the draft and the player development itself. And yeah, he's just a cool guy to be around. And you, you see the interviews with him. You saw like the picture, like the, the pre-draft stuff with him. He's a cool guy to be around. And you can see he's got the player respect. And yeah, he's built a, built a great culture. And it seems like with the past two gr- good Cardinals head coaches, I'm counting Kingsbury as one of them, um, Bruce Arians as well, although their coaching styles are very different and their personalities are different, they both bring the same factor of having a personality fit for fit for building a good locker room and the respect to the veterans and the respect to the young yeah, person. Like, I, I really think Cliff King, Kingsbury can win this award, but I still have my doubts on Vance Joseph as a defensive coordinator. He didn't have the personnel last year. I'll be totally fair. But if the Cardinals defense does not see a drastic improvement this year, I'm, I'm not so sure I want him as my defensive coordinator. Yeah, he's got one year left before he's out. I wasn't too keen on keeping him, but yeah, he did not have the personnel at all. We started off the season with a play, like DJ Swearinger, who was cut after a few weeks because of his just inability to play safety, his inability to cover tight ends. And we got run over week after week by tight ends because of his inability to do that. We lost Patrick Peterson to his um, his uh, drug um, yeah drug suspension and um, Robert Alford as well. Suspension. Was gone. So our, our, our cornerback one on the lineup was Byron Murphy. He was a rookie, int- intended to play a slot corner, which is just ridiculous. So yeah, he did not have the personnel at all. Yeah. Uh, Stan, you've been a homer for your team for mm-hmm. a lot of these picks. I'm going to be a homer for mine for just this one. Mike McCarthy of the oh. Dallas Cowboys is my pick, and the reason for that is when you see all of the moves that the Cowboys have made this off season. Like they've mm. they've been severely underrated with everything they've done in free agency. Um, uh, Gerald McCoy, Dontari Poe, Ha Ha Clinton Dix. It's not elite, high, like big money free agents, but they're the kind. But he's signed the free agents who will take cheap contracts and ha- and play big big roles for this Cowboys team, especially on defense especially with McCoy and Poe, who are probably going to start from day one as the two interior defensive linemen. They're going to shoulder a lot of responsibility, and I think they can do it as vets. And the fact that they've mm-hmm. drafted um, they've drafted for the future with guys like Tristan Hill, Neville Gallimore, like just creating that strong interior defensive line rotation is – not something the Cowboys have done under Jason Garrett. Well, the Cowboys didn't do a lot of things right under Jason Garrett, but another story for another time. They, they've they addressed positions that have been neglected in the past by an incompetent front office. And I think just because of that, McCarthy's name deserves to be in the recognition for this award. Just because of how he sort of addressed the needs for this team and sort of rebuilt it. I, I wouldn't call it a full-scale rebuild because they, they went 8-8 eight and eight last year with a top-tier roster, but 
I, I truly think McCarthy can lead this team to either 10 or I think their ceiling is 11 wins, but if they hit 12, I really wouldn't be surprised. I think they're going to be a great squad this year. Yeah. When McCarthy, when McCarthy was with the Packers, there were a lot of uh, concerns about his like quote unquote vanilla offense. Do you have, do you I'll have tell you what like, the media uh, says and what I say going into the media says he's taken that one year off. And because of that, he's that one year of just rewatching film and reinventing his offense and sort of modernizing those concepts to how the how current passing games and defenses work in 2020. I think that could really work in the Cowboys' favor. Play calling was definitely an issue because it was Kellen Moore's first season in the job. But you're pairing a West Coast offense that features a zone run game with an air raid offense last year, which was number one statistically. I don't think it was the best offense in the league by any margin, but that's what the statistics say. Like when you're in the top, when you're in the top five or ten, and you see a drastic improvement from the previous season, yeah. you know at least something went right. Situational play calling wasn't always right at times, and that's where I think McCarthy's going to have his largest impact as a grizzled yeah. veteran. But overall, I think the Cowboys should really, really make a jump for 2020. That That's why I have McCarthy as coach of the year, drafting CeeDee Lamb to cover a, a slot wide receiver role that was plagued by drops last season. I mean, I think CD can be arguably the best receiver on the Cowboys if given the target share, and he essentially makes Cooper Amari Cooper expendable after two seasons. And you look at draft, yeah. go ahead. Um, um, I just hope that this um, contract issue with Dak doesn't span into training camp preseason, even the regular season, because that's going to have just a really negative effect in the locker room. Um, I personally think that Jerry will pay Dak this massive contract, and yeah, the Cowboys days will be limited if if they do, because that that contract will will cripple the team, as I told you guys earlier. But um, yeah, um, I, I really doubt the Cowboys' ability in the long run. However, this season they could go on to perhaps make the See, playoffs. The thing is, they paid so much of their roster that contract ish that that cap space and contract management isn't exactly at the forefront forefront of their problems. Because I feel like it ends with Dak. And the thing is, we might not even have training camp. So, like, does it yeah, really matter cool. if he holds out during training camp? Because, I mean, Zeke returned, what, one week before the season started? And he was, like, and statistically, he was third or fourth in rushing, even with a stretch of bad games. So. That's running back. So there's, like, there's, like, a, a quarterback has so many more dimensions to it as a, as a position. It's harder to learn. There's much more you have to do. Work you put in in the offseason. Whereas running back, that doesn't really change much from year to year. Like, maybe a different running scheme, but quarterback is way more vital to have there in the offseason. As a leader oh, I completely and agree. As a field general. But the thing is, the roster surrounding Prescott is so good that if he even plays at the level he yeah. did last year, it's going to be – it's going to the Cowboys are going to be in the playoffs. It's the same thing with Drew Locke. Just play at the level you did last year, don't make mistakes, and your team's going to be in the playoffs. Just because of their talent. Yeah, that's exactly what I fundamentally disagree with paying Dak this amount of money because he's a good quarterback. I rate him, but he's not worth this stupid amount of money that's going to hold back the Cowboys in years to come. Like, short run, you'll be fine. Like, worst case scenario, if you have to pay $35 million for four years, take that. 
Like, don't don't subject yourself to a forty-five million to a to a long-term fifth-year option with with higher than forty-five million salary. I don't care that quarterbacks in the future are going to get paid that high. Dak shouldn't get paid that high at all. He doesn't have the talent for it. He's not the quarterback to put the team on his back and win games by pulling crazy by pulling crazy improvisation. He's not that kind of quarterback. He's not Deshaun Watson. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Lamar Jackson. Exactly. Rant over. He's not going to carry the team. On his, yeah, he's not going to carry the team on his back. He's very much a player who has to have a supporting cast around him, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like that's to be expected of a quarterback. It's only these elite players, like yeah, Deshaun Watson, as you said, and players like that who can elevate their offenses just by being there, and they can elevate bad players to being maybe. Hey, they might be okay, but yeah, this contract in the long run is going to hurt them. Similarly to like it's. The, this Jared Goff contract has hurt the Rams. I hope it doesn't have as much of a devastating effect as uh, as the Goff deal did on the Rams. I think one thing is the Cowboys front office does not trade first-round picks like the Rams front office does, which works in their favor. So the team-building yeah. element is definitely there. I just hope this contract stuff gets resolved very soon. If Dak holds out in the season, I don't really care, honestly. I think Dalton can win 10 to 11 games just because, just because of the surrounding roster. Yeah. But, like, do I want to pay Dak 30, 35 to 40 million for the future? Not really. Like, it's just not something I'd want to do. I don't care if he's a fringe top 15 quarterback. I don't care about the 4,900 passing yards last year. I don't care. He is not the quarterback to put a team on his back. So he's not worth that kind of money. Plain and simple, in my opinion. Exactly. No, I've got 100% agree with you there. Awesome. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's move on to comeback player of the year. So I had two players here that I think um, that I think can go. Number one, I put Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, I think that he's the prototypical comeback player of the year, and I'm a Steeler fan, so I, I have to go with him. But hearing yesterday that Alden Smith was reinstated, I think. Um, He's going to give Ben a run for his money Oof, in this category. It's so good. Uh, Alden Smith was an absolute monster last time we saw him. So, but that was that was five years ago, though. So we don't know where he is in terms of his play, in terms of rust. We don't know, but that is what comeback player of the year was made for. So, I as much as I want to say Ben Roethlisberger, I wouldn't be surprised if Alden Smith won. But now. You had to take into consideration that last time we saw Ben Roethlisberger play at a high level, the it was the first season where the Steelers' defense was very good. So for years, we had Brown, Bell, Roethlisberger. The offense was carrying the team, and the defense couldn't, couldn't do anything to save their lives. But now the defense is uh, – now the defense is showing up on a week-in, week week-out basis – uh, unfortunately, Ryan Shazier isn't there, of course. But that de- that defense has been amazing the past few years, and I think that if he comes back now with uh, these young receiving weapons, Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, James Washington to a lesser extent, and Deontay Johnson, who I think is going to have an outstanding second year, uh, one of the best route runners in the league already, I think Ben Roethlisberger has everything around him to succeed. Uh you go, again, you go ahead first, Dan. I'm surprised if Alden Smith took it. 
So who are your um, guys? I'm going uh, for Deshaun Jackson of the Philadelphia Eagles, who went down. It, he went down after was it three games last year that he I think it was one. Went down with injuries <laughs> for the rest of the year. Was it one? Was it? it, was, yeah, it was, he, he absolutely, he absolutely he um, torched the um, Redskins defense like that. That first time he played. Yeah, you saw on that all yeah, or nothing. Yeah, like hundred yards, like three touchdowns or something. Who was that by again? Was it? Was it an Eagles? Um, it's on. I Am- should probably Prime. watch that. Yeah, yeah, definitely watch. It's a great series. Yeah, but you just saw in week one, like the immediate yeah, yeah, impact he had like, among that. the fan base as well, like the hero coming back to Philly, the impact he had in the locker room as well, and then he suddenly he goes down, and I felt like it was sort of symptomatic of their season. Like it was just, it was just, it was just so disappointing to see him go down so early. However, I think he can bring that electricity he brings back with as a deep threat to that offense. Him paired with Jalen Rager as a, both his deep threat receivers, I, I can't see a world where he doesn't win comeback player of the year, unless Carson Wentz gets injured again, of course, which is probably inevitable. See, the thing is, I, I, I can very much see that happening especially if the Eagles do take a lot more shots this year which I expect they do but I think the one receiver who's going to be Deshaun Jackson out for comeback player of the year is AJ Green quite honestly like I I know I might be kicking the dead horse with injury here but that's really been Uh his only issue production wise he's been he's been fine over the last few years it's just it's just staying on the field and because he missed all of last season if the chemistry between Joe between him and Joe Burrow is even remotely good, like he's gonna win that award because Burrow's gonna get a lot of media coverage, a lot more than he might want, being quite honest. Like he's gonna get a ton of media coverage, and because of that, even if they don't win many games, if that rapport is there between Burrow and Green, Green's gonna win that award. Green's gonna win that award. If it's like what, let's say 1,300 yards and eight to nine touchdowns, book it. Yeah. And- oh, yeah. No one thought Keenan Allen was even relevant. Yeah. Like, yeah, Keenan Allen. Too. I mean, Keenan Allen won it a few years ago as well. Like, that's when Keenan Allen established himself as a top 10 top flight receiver, right? Because not many people were paying attention to his game yeah. before that. He. Oh, yeah, no, he, yeah, he was in the yeah. top five at one yeah. point. Well, the the point is, I feel like injuries five. really derailed his ago. career until that season where he reinvented himself. Mm-hmm. And I don't think injuries have derailed Green's career as much because he's pretty much a Hall of Famer if he retires today. Mm-hmm. So he's yeah. going to be... So as long as his production is that of a top wide receiver one, which it very well can be because Burrow's a talented quarterback... He's going to win that award. I think it's a safe bet, quite honestly. Hmm. So, last category that we have on here, if, if you guys would like to throw out any random categories that we can talk about off the cuff, you're more than welcome. But the last one we have on here is most improved player. So, uh, I'm going to go ahead and go with uh, Drew Locke. I said that I had him as a top as one of my top MVP candidates. Uh, I think that he's going to win most improved player. He only played a few games last year, but he's that one of those players who's just poised to have a ridiculously good season. Um, 
He's got all the weapons at his disposal, like we were talking about earlier. KJ Hamler, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, Albert Alvin L. Gordon, Lindsey Fant. He's got uh, one of his uh, – he's got a familiar face, another tight end. I forget his name uh, from Missouri. Yeah, right. He's there. Uh, Royce Freeman and all, all these guys. I mean, you just have everything that you want there in Denver. You're setting him up for success in the, in the best possible way that you could. So – if I mean, I think that this is that there's a big chance that he could win MVP, but if he doesn't, I think that he's he's poised for this. I'm gonna award. go with Sam Darnold, like, quarterback. The, of the this New York is Jets. his for the taking, honestly. So, probably uh, Drew, who's the your guy? Biggest beneficiary of free agency, in my opinion, in the entire league, mm. more than Kyle Murray, more than Drew Locke. And yes, you just heard that, and it's because the Jets have been so bad especially with roster management in the last two seasons that Darnold going seven and six as a starting quarterback last season is a straight-up miracle I, I don't know how it happened especially with the awful offensive line that that the Jets had um the lack of a true number one receiving threat and a de- and a defense that could that just could not get after the passer at any level like this year, they're returning all three of their starting middle linebackers, two of whom got injured last year. Your return, your you drafted Makai Becton to start at left tackle. You you stole Denzel Mims in the second round to be your ex. You you have Ashton Davis, and you could play him however however you want on defense, a slot corner, deep safety if they really want to upgrade Marcus May. Like whatever you want to do with your draft with. Got with guys like that helps Sam Darnold because as long as you're surrounding him with talent, he's going to be a great quarterback. I think if the Jets don't win eight or nine games this season, at worst, out with Adam Gase. Out with Adam Gase. Like this roster is this roster is too good for them not to be making mm-hmm. the playoffs. If they make I the playoffs, I won't be surprised <laughs> at all. Like I know the Bills are a better team, but if but if they're not, but if the Jets are in the playoffs, it it's not going to be it's not going to be an easy out for any of the top dogs in the AFC. Um, I had difficulty deciding on this one to be honest. I, Stan, I, I, I found this quite hard to predict, but um, in the end, I ended up going with Preston Ooh. Williams, the wide receiver for okay. the Miami Dolphins. Six foot five, wide receiver. He's fast. He's strong. He can catch. And he only played eight games last year. So I think he would have achieved more last year if he, if he had played more and had better quarterback play. However, with more consistency this year, as I hope um, Ryan Fitzpatrick will start most mm-hmm. of, if not the entire season, I think with more consistent quarterback play, a better offense in general, I don't see any reason why Preston Williams can't go off this year and have a breakout year. Mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah, I feel that's like true. Devontae Parker would even have a uh, like a good case there as well. Because, I mean, he he had an outstanding season towards the end last year. I mean, he, his whole season in its entirety wasn't outstanding. But if he takes that latter part of the season and brings it into this yeah. season, I think that he's a another top-tier candidate for this award. Because, I mean, at the end of last season, he was – he I mean, he, he absolutely torched – Stefan Gilmore, who won Defensive Player of the Year, and amongst other games where he was just re- like remarkable, you know. 
So I think if he can carry that into there, uh, it'll be great. And I think that Miami's building a great receiving core around um, to attack of Iloa for the future. I do think Ryan Fitzpatrick should start. Honestly, I don't know why teams, unless you have a case like Joe Burrow, where like, you know, he just seems so NFL ready that it's impossible to hold him back. I don't, understand the reason why teams are so uh um they're so eager to thrust in their quarterbacks i mean you look at all the successful quarterbacks that have come recently and they've all sat down they've all sat down aaron Rodgers, patrick mahomes lamar jackson you know these guys they cut they come in after sitting after sitting a year not even and it it just it works for them you know because they get to to watch that better from that veteran um, out there and, yeah with this know, it's not necessarily that I don't trust Tua as, as a franchise quarterback because yeah, I think exactly. that's exactly what he is and he's he could have he could have pipped Joe Burrow for the number one pick if perhaps he'd stayed healthy the entire year I mean I personally think Burrow's the better quarterback but some teams may have felt Tua's better but the reason I want to sit Tua year one mainly is because of his injury risk that he brings to the team the, behind that Dolphins O-line this year I don't I don't trust them I don't trust them to keep, like, if I'm a Dolphins fan, I don't trust them to keep my franchise quarterback safe and damage them for years to come. There is no point in putting Tua in at all this season, apart from maybe, like, the graveyard shift and, like, fourth quarter for five minutes. Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, plus, I mean, I I think that Ryan Fitzpatrick can win them Six games exactly. Yeah, you never to, know. We might to just to see the Fitzpatrick as well. One of the best lucky. offensive linemen. They drafted like they drafted like four or yeah, five exactly. guys <laughs> on the offensive line alone this year. Though. Yeah, you, uh, you Austin Jackson, Robert Hunt, <laughs> Solomon Kinley. Yeah. I'm forgetting. There, there's a few more. Like, but they they added a lot of talent on the yeah. offensive line this offseason. They're not going to address it next year. I think you. Sit, yeah. I, I do agree with your overall point. You sit Tua because he's not ready and he needs to get his body right. Like. Yeah, it's his yeah. body more than anything, not his talent. Because his talent, we all know, he can show up. He can play quarterback very, very well. It's his body, and I just don't want to yeah, get no, hurt. Yeah, no, give him all the time he needs. Because it's not like Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to start yeah. as your franchise quarterback for much longer. Like, maybe give Fitzpatrick yeah, exactly. the start of the season just to, just to find some more talent at the top of next year's insane class. But I think it's, I think it's a positive direction yeah. for the Dolphins training up. So, do you see no chance that they have a rubbish season? They end up with a top five pick, and they take Sewell or Sewell out of them, Oregon. I don't know how to pronounce. Mm, I don't think they take Sewell because you have to consider they invested a first rounder in Austin Jackson. Unless they want to keep Robert Hunt at right tackle, unless they want to kick in Robert Hunt to guard instead of right tackle, I I just don't see any case where Sewell would be in play. Not that Sewell's a bad player; he's one of the. But he, he would be the best player available. It's like it's like with the Cardinals at the moment. We've got we had two inside linebackers sorted. We had two safeties sorted. We took Isaiah Simmons because he was purely the best player available in generational talent. And I honestly I wouldn't be surprised if the Dolphins did the same thing with Sewell because of the fact that he again is a generational talent and people are already are already saying he could be a future Hall of Famer. So I don't know. And especially as how raw the two talents that they signed to play offensive tackle, namely Austin Jackson. Yeah, no, Austin Jackson is a very, he's got the upside, he's got decent upside, he can be a very, he can can be a very good offensive tackle, but he's not going to be an all pro like Jedrick Wills, let's be real here, he's not going to be Jedrick Wills, yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. But they need a defensive end more than anything, in my opinion. They don't have a true franchise pass rusher yet. And if, if they're going to address anything by tanking, it's going to be bad. I don't think they're done with offensive line. I, I think they're done with offensive line, actually. That's, yeah, that's interesting. It, it'll be interesting to see how they pan out because this first year for Austin Jackson is, is it's almost the ideal situation because it doesn't matter too much if your quarterback hit gets hit because it's Ryan Tannehill. It's nothing special. He, like The Dolphins won't care too much if he gets injured. He's in the perfect situation to learn as a tackle. I mean, he might not have the veteran help he, he would want, but he's in the perfect situation to learn and try things out and just improve his game for 16 games that just don't matter at all. Mm-hmm. All right, awesome. Thank you guys so much. I think that about wraps us up. So if you guys would like to say anything, anything that you're up to, you know, want people to know about, now is the time. Yeah, uh, I'd just like to plug um, another podcast I do. It's called so The Dropback Podcast. It's with another lastly? three guys from the UK, all from England. And you get to see our take on the NFL, a bit on college football and a lot on British American football, which I'm sure you guys maybe don't know as much about being from America. So head over to the Dropback UK or um, you can find us on Spotify, Instagram and Facebook and just come and ch- check out some of our content and especially our podcast, which comes out um, every week, Thursdays and Wednesdays. Um, No, I don't have anything to plug this week. Mm-hmm. roof. All right, awesome. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, go check out my most recent article on the sports wave, uh, LeBron James versus Michael Jordan. I live in um, I live in New York, so as opposed to like the rest of the country, basketball is a lot bigger than football in New York, at least as far as my age group is concerned. So whenever I write a basketball article, it, I automatically know that it gets uh, it gets more <laughs> more uh, more viewers than my football article. So if you want to go check out my Michael Jordan versus LeBron James article. Uh, either message me and I can send you a link or find, you can find it on the sports wave. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, Cheers, I'll see you next time. Have a great day. Thank you guys for.